The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Say something so we know you're there. Something so we know I'm there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, we've started. Whether you like it or not, we've started. Uh, we started. Oh no. So 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 we we tried about when did we try about four or five days ago to do this podcast. This was uh, uh, what what day was it? Tuesday. While I was in beautiful Reading, Pennsylvania. Right. Right. And. Uh, we now have a new candidate for the worst internet connectivity at a hotel in America. <laughs> I mean, it was awful. I tried, you know, a, a, a few minutes before the appointed time, like usual, I, I opened up Skype and I was going to do, I, I called a little Skype test call and it, uh, and it wouldn't even connect. I mean, it just didn't even ring through, let alone get huh. a bad, bad connection. I tried that about a half a dozen times. It was zero connection. Finally made yeah, I've had it. Yeah, finally managed to get through, and it was all choppy and really unreadable. And uh, that's when I got you guys on on regular telephones, and we kind of put our heads together and realized the where, awful. Where truth. were you again? Reading, Pennsylvania. Reading. Ironically, we could have done it Thursday night, at least from my perspective, because I was in uh, a different hotel that had actually awesome. I mean, it was just the other end of the spectrum in in hotel Wi-Fi or, or hotel internet hmm. connectivity. Um, so it uh, just goes to show you, go for them brand-name hotels whenever possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I was kind of occupied Thursday evening. So, But the hotel I was in had great Internet service. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, hey, listen, you know, I, you, you, you were, your life these days is like mine, which is take the work when you can get it. You know, it's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. it, it it's never not like that. It's never not like that, right? <laughs> that's that that that's an always on switch. Uh, yes, it is particularly, that. Particularly with the kind of offer that was made to me for these three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that was in the realm of, you know, if it takes rearranging some things, I'll still do it. Hmm. Well, I have to tell you, I'm feeling incredibly mellow tonight. I just really have, <laughs> which means I'm totally up for talking about airplanes. I'm just, I'm looking at this list, and I'm totally not up for talking about all this, this federal nonsense and and uh, okay, FAA sure. and uh, you know. I, I think yeah. the funniest thing on the list is uh, the uh, wide, widely copyright violated Dilbert cartoon. Yeah, I know. We'll come back uh-huh. to that one too. Uh-huh. So. Uh, but one thing I did want to mention when we at the, at the top here is uh, we got a really cool message uh, by way of the uh, social media system Twitter uh, today. It came through to me from a listener there who uh, who informed me uh, that uh, he said, this is a quote, Twitter messages, if, no, he doesn't, doesn't know Twitter. Twitter is all about very brief terse messages. Right, 170 characters, 100, or 170 spaces. 140 characters, actually. 140, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, yes. And he wrote, so he wrote, you and the UCAP gang can contributed significantly to my joining the ranks of aircraft owners thanks and he included a link to a picture of his of his uh, new aircraft now that um, apparently that's a what a 182 jeb now apparently jeb you were in on this yeah i was in on this um mike called me 
uh, earlier in the week. And they introduced himself, said he was a, you know, not only an a, a aviation safety subscriber, but a, a UCAP listener. Uh, and um, um, explained that he and, and his partner uh, had um, bought a, uh, <clears throat> an earlier model, 182. He lives in, uh, in Idaho, and the airplane was in Montana or Utah or something like that. And, uh, you know, being winter, being an unfamiliar airplane, um, what thoughts did I have for him on getting it, you know, back to Idaho? And we talked at least 30 minutes or so uh, about it. And in actuality, he's going to do a piece for safety. Oh, really cool. Uh, about uh, um, not so much, you know, not the travelogue stuff, but um, the, uh, you know, Kind of the checklist stuff, you know. Here you are. Um, Process. Yeah. First of all, you know, there's there's two pilots trying to fly the same thing at, a, at the same time. Bad idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Bad idea. That's that's like my number two thing on on most dangerous things in aviation. And we went through. We talked about some of that. We the the uh, trip was a little bit complicated. They uh, um, they hired a CFI and they they rented another 182. So they they were going to leave Odark early Saturday morning in the rented 182 with the CFI, fly down uh, to where the the uh, newly purchased 182 is, and then kind of fl- and then fly back more or less together. And I said, well, you know, let's let's talk about formation. Let's talk about you know least kinds of things, but more importantly, let's talk about you know picking the right day. Let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about the vagaries of, of, you know, literally hopping into an airplane you've never flown before and launching on a 350-mile cross-country. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about, you know, just the peer pressure kind of thing of, of um, you know, well, let's, let's go do this. Well, I'm not sure I feel like doing that. I'm, I, I'm not comfortable with that. You know, who gets the veto power? Yeah. Okay. And then finally, of course, is just the... Uh, you get there, you get, you know, you got a brand new airplane, you're itching to get back, you're, you know, watching the clock because you want to try to do it all in daylight. There might be some weather somewhere along the line. Um, what are you going to do about that? And uh, are you going to, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're running behind, how many corners are you going to cut? And are you going to cut any, of course? But if you start cutting corners, where is that going to leave you? And, uh, um, just had a very interesting chat, very, you know, uh, um, you know, kind of a theoretical, uh, um, you know, what if, uh, series of questions, um, and answers on both sides. And, um, uh, I, I understand from the Twitter, uh, I was just checking email here. I understand from his tweet that, uh, his tweet, I should say that, uh, oh, very um, good. You got the, the terminology there. That's good. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. They got back. Okay. And, and, uh, all the, all the big pieces were still flying in close formation and that's a great sign. And, uh, uh hats off to Mike, uh, for, uh, and, and his partner for their new steed, mm-hmm. um, a uh, long may it wave. Yeah, that's right. As I replied to him, I said, "Congratulations," and I'm jealous because yeah, I tell you, that's another thing. After two years, two and a half years of doing this podcast with you guys, is you've convinced me I need to own an airplane. And uh, so, uh, I mean, that's an obvious thing to, to the two of you, but it wasn't so obvious to me for a long time. But it's become obvious. Now we just got to get the uh, economy to cooperate. And, uh, well, there's that. Um, um, well, ironically, price-wise, it's a good time to buy an airplane. Income-wise, uh-huh. not so much. No, yeah, price-wise, you know, um, you know, 
great time to buy an airplane. It's probably going to get better before it gets before it gets uh, before it levels it off. Better. It gets worse. Right. It's going to get better before it gets better. Yeah. No, I know um, what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's 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 good and there's bad. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you got to have the money to support it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, well, it's uh, like buying a house. You know, if you don't have to sell a house, now's a great time mm-hmm. to buy one. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and so uh, I don't know. You know, we'll see how things are going by uh, by uh, you know after Oshkosh time and. And who knows what might happen. Anyways. Hey, listen, I know where you can pick up a really nice airplane below market and get a free car with it. Oh, what's that? <laughs> All right. I, 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 he's setting us up. Well, I'll some. send it to you on a private. But uh, <laughs> okay. all you got to do, all you got to do is buy a, 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 a fairly current Citation CJ3, and the uh, broker will give you a new car. I was like, I thought you were going to tell me there was some what bank. Tell me about a nice car. car. A nice car. Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me there was some bank that you open a savings account and then they give you a free Eclipse jet. But, uh, uh, actually, they were working on that, but they decided that toasters would go over better. Yeah. <laughs> You can actually get factory support for toasters. Yeah, yeah. The flip side of which is the toasters are more valuable right That's now. That's right, exactly. <laughs> well, they yeah. definitely will. You know, there's still some value in the uh, in, in the uh, 259 Eclipse 500s that were built and delivered. It's just that it's, it may be kind of time-limited for 259 yeah. of them, uh, as in the next time they need work. That can only be done by an authorized person. Well, we're gonna come back yes. to that later on. They they do all have Garmin whatever four ninety sixes or five ninety sixes or something like that. You know? I don't think well, they all. No, do. not all. Of them. Well, okay, see, so no, I'm not trying all to, of them. I'm trying to find the silver lining here, and you're you're shooting me down. Hey, folks, well, the silver lining is that it won't bring down the cost of scrap aluminum by at all by anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> the silver lining is there is no silver lining. So. Welcome, folks, to episode one hundred and twenty three of Uncontrolled Airspace the General Aviation Podcast. We are finally recording this episode on Sunday evening, March 1st, 2009. And let me say hi to the game. Beware the odds of March. Yeah, it's coming. I can't wait. It's it's getting closer and closer. Uh, let me say hi to my friends here in the hangar. Well, that voice there is Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Uh, well, you know, if I if I can keep warm, I'll be doing pretty good. Yeah. Because here, the last couple of days, it seemed like about as chilly as a tie-down anchor in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been going up and down here, too. It's, uh, so... At least we haven't gotten any snow, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Can you tell us anything about this? Was this an aviation job you had to sneak off to do? Uh, actually, it was. No. Uh, Anything you can tell us? I, I don't want you to give away if it's if it's for well, some publication. I'll, don't don't be. You there's going to be a link available to what got me into this uh, here in a few weeks when the company publishes the piece. Okay. But uh, my largest uh, uh, client in terms of volume and, and and percentage of work, my total income and all that, asked me to write up a piece that kind of pushed back on all the negativity that's been associated with business aviation in particular recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the uh, the Dilbert cartoon uh, where the, the, the guy asks uh, Mr. Dogbert, did you fly here in a business jet? And Dogbert says, yes, the same business jet that took you on that fact-finding trip to Aruba, you a wool-covered blob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I kind of like that. And... Uh, uh, the other cartoon that was floating around was a guy pr- appearing before a uh, congressional panel 
And so why is it, sir, that uh, that you think you need a bailout? Well, the economy or the times are killing my business. What business are you in? Uh, oh, you didn't fly to this in a business jet, did you? Uh, no, sir. What business are you in? Why do you need a bailout? I make business jets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's been a lot of pushback. So I wrote this piece. Uh, on fairly short order, the publishers then asked me to attend uh, a uh, kind of a crisis meeting of the National Aircraft Resale Association members and a lot of guests who aren't NARA members but work with NARA members in, in associated businesses like uh, financing aircraft or providing title search services and clean titles to aircraft or uh, uh, prepping aircraft for resale or actually being broker or dealer for some of these. Uh, it's just, as the man said, it's a good time to buy an airplane and uh, particularly the airplanes at our end of the business. Uh, what's really bad news is that it's uh, – a really good time to be buying a business jet too, but for a lot of different reasons, uh, they're not selling, which is hammering a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So you attended this conference at, to report on it? Uh, I'll probably wind up writing something on it, but the writing that I did was actually preceded me there. Mm -hmm. uh, it showed up as a handout to the couple of hundred people that attended this mm -hmm. thing. And uh, uh, so I was there to kind of get a pulse on the uh, the community uh firsthand and uh to back up what i had written in the uh in the opinion piece got so it. got it cool well that's great it it was kind of fun getting out of the getting out of town for a couple of days hanging around with some uh, people some of whom i know and uh and seeing some familiar faces and uh and listening to the people on the front lines of trying to keep the uh, engine of aircraft recycling running along on very little fuel right now yeah, yeah. hey and that other voice uh, here in the hangar is jeb burnside who's talking to, talking to us from uh, sarasota florida i was going to try and make some sort of joke about internet connection quality but uh, I, it comes and goes yeah it's 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 uh, kind of flaky tonight this is the downside of living in an airport community yeah uh, yeah the, the only well one of them Oh really? Oh well, the shine is starting to come off the. No, no, rose. no, nothing like that. It's it's, uh, um, you know, when, when the uh, everything's relative, okay? Yeah. Uh, there are trade-offs uh, on everything. Right? There, there are trade-offs. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't bother me. It took a little getting used to, uh, but it doesn't bother me now. There's a guy about every every decent weather morning. About six thirty, he punches out right over the top of my house, and it's time. To get, it's time to get up by then, anyway. So, you know, as I say, the first couple of days is like, what the? <laughs> I want to know. Uh, well, I mean, I can sort of imagine what your reaction might be. I want to know what the lady friend's uh, reaction to that kind of thing is. And uh, I took her a little bit more, uh, a little bit longer to get used to it. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, uh, so, anyways, normally, yeah. What else is going on? How are you you keeping busy? Are you doing any flying? Yeah, you, uh... yeah, I did. I uh, flew yesterday. Um, I hadn't really kind of. I've been tinkering a little bit with the airplane. I'd done an oil change and and hadn't flown it for for a couple of weeks. So I got it out yesterday and literally and figuratively bounced around uh, uh, the area here for a little while and got the oil warmed up and circulated fresh oil and everything circulated throughout the engine and and um, nice little you know. 
uh, 10 gusts to 15 little crosswind here. Mm, okay. Uh, so uh, it was it was interesting. How but wide um, is that runway? It's 50 wide. Okay. Um, uh, but it's you know it, it's relatively short. There's trees on both ends, so there's little margin for error. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you know, uh, I am super pilot, so I, I can do this. <laughs> there you go, Wrong. man. Wrong. That's, that's your story, and you're sticking to it. Right? A little airplane that exactly. thought it good. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's exactly right. Yeah. So. Uh, and I am Jack but, Hodgson, and I'm. Uh, oh, sorry, you weren't finished. No, 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 no. I, I, I no. <laughs> I was just going to say, go. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. And, uh, to be snowy. Yeah, where I'm just, like I said, I'm just totally mellowed out today. I, uh, I spent this morning at my IFR school class, and, uh, and then uh, spent the afternoon, I went to, I, I, uh, this is totally non-aviation related, I joined a health club recently, and, uh, and, I've been, uh, and I have a personal trainer. And, this uh, is not non-aviation related. What's that? Be- Why? This How's is not. That? How is that? Because the 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 better physically fit you are, uh-huh. uh huh, when you fly, yeah, um, the better will be your the oxygenation in your blood. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. The less will be your physical weight. The greater will be your useful load. <laughs> Okay. Absolutely. Uh, aviation wise, I get you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And the and the and the better you will be equipped to push the airplane back into its parking space when you're finished with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, put. Well, looking at it that way, uh, then um, I actually it comes with your it's your introduction, your sign up. You get some time with a personal trainer who is uh, apparently trying to give you a run for your money. Then and being super pilot because uh, she's working me hard. I'll tell you. She. What's her? She? What's her she, name, Jack? She? Her name is personal trainer, and she was probably best left <laughs> unnamed here. <laughs> making light of her profession. So I'm really enjoying it. It's great. But, uh, so I'm just totally mellowed I'm out. I'm not today. about so, to make light of her profession. What I'd like to do is shine more light on the rest of her. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, there's obviously something else going on here, but I'll just Yeah, I mean, fitness, fitness trainer, and, and you stumble over the word she. It's like... Jack, 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 Jack. He's, he's not, he, yeah, he, he, he thinks he knows us too well, but... Uh, um, so anyways. Uh, so that's Jack Hodgson reporting to you with a six-pack. No, 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 no. I'm drinking my, uh, my ginger ale. My ginger ale. So See, we've got now, a little bit of a, that, man. That's the wrong six pack here. A little yeah. podcast wrong administrative six-pack. stuff here. Uh, we have it appears two different UCAP meetups in the work in the works here. Um, it was last week or the week before. I mentioned that we're trying to put together a a, a meetup, uh, which just means kind of get together for either beers or coffee, depending on the time of day and the circumstances, um, up here someplace in New England. Um, and now, since uh, Dave, you're trying to put together something down there in Wichita too, right? Yeah, uh, one of our listeners uh, moved to town recently and got to meet this young man at breakfast. And uh, it occurred to me that, that I know there are one or two other people in town who listen and some others in the area. And if you're working on meetups up there, we have a couple of pilots and a couple of nice pilot joints to go to down here. So what the hell? We're going to give it a shot. Yeah. So now if you're, if you're doing this the same way I'm thinking about it, it's very casual, very informal. It's just like pick a restaurant or a bar or a watering hole of some sort 
and just get together and chat, and that's it. And uh, yep, yep. And we're thinking yep. about a night that already has a bar with an aviation crowd dominant. There you go. So that the folks will get to meet some others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're all going to make me look bad if I don't have one here. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to leave that. You know, I'm going to leave your guilt level to be whatever it will be. You know? and, uh, <laughs> now, guilt don't, level. Don't sugarcoat it. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. How often do you hear that in the same sentence? I know, right. So, uh, just to report on the progress here, putting together the New England meetup, um, we uh, there's been a lot of conversation about this on the uh, in the forums. And uh, you see, I and and it's kind of taking on a life of its own, and I think maybe I've lost control of it here. But because we can always hope, <laughs> because Scofferjet and I were talking about this when we had lunch that day, and I think at least in my mind, what I was thinking was something like down in the greater Boston area. You know, that was like I could drive there if I had to drive, and it would be like you know an hour and a half or so. Um, and uh, so I was thinking, like, you know, Bedford or Nashua or Lawrence or maybe even Norwood, which is kind of a little bit south of town. Um, well, the forums are brainstorming about this, and apparently people are, like, all excited about driving up from New York, you know, and further, you know, to, to attend this thing. And so now they're all focusing on what is admittedly a very cool-sounding airport, um, which I believe is called Barnes. It's in central um, central Massachusetts. I believe it's uh, uh, BAF uh, and uh, um, so that's an interesting possibility. Um, it's a little, it's a lot further drive if that's the way I decide to go down there, but maybe we'll do it on a Saturday morning and I could fly down. I don't know. So, so, um, I mentioned this just to kind of say if there's any, any other listeners out there who, uh, who are interested in getting together for this casual thing, um, you should either send an email to uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com or post something on the forums and sort of express your geographical preferences and, uh, and likewise, I you can you can you know, kind of wave your hand if you're interested in the Wichita meetup as well. And, right, but, and that's, that, course, that, that little discussion's been going on in under the other topics banner on the forums page. And if you haven't registered and, and dipped your beak into the forums, just been lurking out there without registering, this would be a good time if you're interested in meeting up. Uh, we're leaning toward a specific place that I'm going to. Uh, reveal after I talk to the owner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, but of now, course, and, and of course, there's no pressure whatsoever on me to schedule anything like uh, that. Well, you know, let me just, let's do it this way. Let's say if there's anybody in sort of the greater Sarasota area who is at all interested in getting together either with or without Jeb, hey, you know, who the heck needs Jeb Burnside? Well, there, there is there is that. And we I, would be glad I, to facilitate this somehow through the forums or through email or whatever. So, would be the uh, first to say that my presence isn't mandatory, but, uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we can obviously... Uh, yeah. um, so if you're interested, um, down, down in that area of Florida, I would, if you're interested, I would, speak up somehow, some way, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Florida, southeast, uh, you know, Georgia, um, South Carolina, yeah, it's up to you. You know, uh, figure out the Avgas thing, Alabama, whatever. Maybe find yeah. some place in uh, uh, you know, North Florida, Gain, uh, Gainesville, something like that, or, or South Georgia. I know a good spot in South Georgia, but uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, and no. I, if I recall correctly, you you seem to express uh, a, a semi willingness to come up to the New England one. I don't know. Oh, I did. Um, sounds come, like that's come to your senses. My yeah. March, yeah, my March is rapidly filling up. Yeah. However, 
And it sounds like you're moving uh, a little bit faster. Yeah, I want to do something uh, rather, rather sooner rather than later. So anyways, let's go. we've belabored this enough. Anybody who's interested in any of these things, speak up by way of either email podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com or in the forums, and uh, we'll see if we can kind of put it in some sort of order. So here's an interesting story that actually came out some time ago, and you guys could probably fill me in on there's any new news here, but this is, this is so all, Continental eng- Aircraft Engines, had a cylinder recall. Now, if I understood this correctly, this is basically every cylinder, aircraft cylinder anywhere got recalled. What is the story? This was a big that deal. It might be right? a little bit outside that, but it's a lot of cylinders going there's back. Like nine, ten, there's like nine, ten thousand cylinders going back two or three years, as I recall. Yeah. Um, let me, while we're talking, see, he didn't have a link to any of this, Jack, so I got to come back and... You know, I, I just figured you guys are so you have your finger on the pulse of the aviation world that you just knew this stuff off the top of your head. I guess not, huh? Well, well not on. Yeah. But it was big, uh, right? It was a yeah, lot okay. of This is this is from earlier, uh, early February. This huh. is uh, a continental recall affects nine thousand six hundred cylinders. This is an article in AvWeb. Um, this has to do with what are called the big bore continental engines, the 470, 520, and 550 engines. Uh, these are cylinders shipped since November 2007. Okay. So, you know, first of all, that's a lot of cylinders. Secondly, apparently it's every cylinder the company has made, delivered since, uh, well, over, uh, say, a year and a, year and a, and a quarter or so. Um Company expects to replace 9,600 cylinders currently in the field. No cil- uh, new cylinders will be provided at no cost to affected customers. Owners have found cracks in the affected cylinder heads castings. 36 cylinders so far. This was as of February 12, um, and installed in engines with more than 400 hours on them. Uh, the company issued a mandatory service bulletin um, regarding the the identification and replacement procedures. Um, Yada yada yada. There's telephone numbers, web-based, uh, web link, etc. Associated with this piece. Um, here's my fear, uh, and and first of all, I guess, I guess kudos to Continental. Yeah. Too too Sounds many. Like yeah. Too many companies. Too many manufacturers, vendors, um, in this industry um, will not do a recall. They will go to the FAA and say, "Oops, we 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 made a boo boo," um, and we uh, probably need ought an to, AD. Probably ought to have an AD on this, and um, um, you know, thank you very much. Do your thing, and the AD will come out, and um, it'll be up to the owners and operators to pay for whatever the AD mandates. It could be parts, it could be labor, it could be both. Uh, in this instance, it appears. Um, based on this story alone, that Continental is accepting responsibility for the problem and replacing these cylinders at their expense, including labor uh, as well as parts, uh, which is um, kind of sort of new mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as from where I stand. Um, as now, far this, as uh, you said, you said I believe nine, nine what ninety six hundred cylinders, ninety six hundred based on the fa- them finding thirty six. Well, right. that's my question. So, uh, so there's more cylinder. Are they inspecting these and then maybe replacing them, or are they replacing everyone that falls <laughs> falls in this category? If everyone that falls in this category, yeah, everyone well, that falls within the serial number range. Exactly. The, the, the story says the company expects to replace 
some 9,600 cylinders currently in the field. Uh, from what I understand, the uh, the casting has a defect. Ah, okay. Okay, and um, there's kind of sort of no way to repair that, uh, and it's not known as a result when uh, or when whether that that cylinder might fail. It says subject to cracking. Quote, at the top of the cylinder head near the fuel injector and spark plug bosses, which not coincidentally is kind of uh, a famous place on those cylinders for cracks to form. Uh, um, once the crack forms, if it goes, if it progresses from the uh, spark plug hole to the uh, um, injector boss, um, then the, the cylinder won't hold compression, and you definitely have to replace it. Um, I had one that uh, had kind of uh, cracked in that area, and that's what ha- that's what uh, led to my little uh, impromptu landing a few years back. Uh, okay. yeah. um, and the fact that we're talking cylinders here for what's essentially a flaw in only the head, right, kind of points out the fact that it, it kind of brings home the rather interesting nature of how the cylinder assemblies go together because the barrels are are cast and finished separately from the heads and then if I try to state this too definitively I'll get it backward but I believe it's the heads that are chilled to many many degrees below zero and the cylinders that are heated up and then they're put together, and as the metals equalize in temperature, the threading between the head and yeah. the uh, cylinder itself becomes essentially a permanent bond. You're not going to take that apart. Really? You, you got that mostly right. It's the, it's the barrel um, that is chilled. It's the barrel the that's barrel chilled. It's the barrel that's chilled. The, 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 the cylinder itself, I think, is actually heated. Yeah, one of the uh, two I, is heated. That's yeah. what I was afraid of getting yeah. wrong here. But um, one of the two is heated, one's chilled. The barrel has to be sm- slightly smaller because uh, it goes into the uh, kind of a male-female thing. Uh, the, the barrel goes into the casting and is, and is threaded. But they're both threaded for that matter. Um, but and I've seen I've seen been in the Continental Factory where they where they assemble these things. Yes, yeah, and seen seen the process where basically there's one guy, okay, and this is what he does. And if he's sick, you know, <laughs> no no jugs get built that fine and slow down. Huh? Yeah, okay, that's yeah. pretty interesting. Uh, now help but, co- uh, help me out here because I'm easily yes. confused by these aircraft engine model numbers. Um, what, okay. Can you can, are you able to kind of character what what Size, are these big engines, small engines? The, these are big engines. They are big engines. Are, yeah, 470 cubic inch, 520 cubic inch, 550 cubic inch. What type of They're from about 225 horsepower to 310. Uh, okay. And they'll be in everything from Nanzas to New Surai and Cessna, what are they calling them now? Corvallises, the old Columbia, Lancer Columbia airplanes. Right. Uh, I believe, you know, the small bore engines, small bore Continentals in the used to be in the Mooney. Now they're using large bore light well, they in the Moonies. They've got, they, there is a there is a Mooney with a five fifty, but uh, uh, older one eighty twos that have new cylinders installed. Yeah, oh, okay. that's that's um, correct. Um, old, uh, Cessna three tens, uh, Barons. Um, 
basically, it's a lot uh, of airplanes. So it's a lot of airplanes. It's a it's a lot of airplanes. One eighties, one eighty fives, Cessnas, whatnot. Um, not affected are the uh, the smaller bore Continentals, like you'd find in say a Turbo Aero or a Seneca, or right, an SR three sixties, right, or an SR twenty or something like that. And obviously not affected is is all the Lycomings, uh, yeah. which sort of have their own issues these days. But there, this is a, this is a a lot of serial numbers, a lot of model numbers. Well, here's uh, the, and it covers <clears throat> a lot of airframes. And here's the thing: in, in this economy, with a company, you know, Continental is is big in the industry, but it's it's really kind of a small company, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're taking on the task of of uh, replacing almost 10,000 cylinders over a, a fairly short period of time. Um, I hope that doesn't do a whole lot to their financial viability. Well, the uh, the piece that I just looked up says it's going to cost $18 million. I believe it. You know, that's uh, cylinders, that's new cylinder kits and labor. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're all, you know, they're paying both, uh, and in the great scheme of things, that sounds pretty, pretty terrible. But considering the financial depth of of the company and and the company that holds it, uh, I'm betting that eighteen million dollars is going to be less than than fighting one insurance claim. Well, that that could be, and and, and certainly, uh, I'm sure someone somewhere has done that calculation. Um, and there's there's always a chance of recovering it, some of it from the contractor that supplied the uh, the the substandard well, yeah. part. Yeah. That said, you know, eighteen million dollars to Teledyne Continental Motors, or at least its aircraft manufacturing side, uh, is is a significant sum of money. The parent oh, yeah. company, the parent company, clearly can can uh, afford that investment. But its little subsidiary is going to take a black mark on the at the next board meeting, so it's it's uh, it's not a good thing. But again, hats off to Continental for stepping up. I was, I was going to say they really deserve uh, yeah. a no holds barred, break your arm, pat yourself on the back kind of uh, treatment here, because it doesn't seem to have been any hemming or hawing. Uh, and just you know to kind of put this into perspective. Uh, yeah, that's that's only sixteen hundred engines. Yeah, uh, uh-uh. wrong. S- six cylinders per engine. Wrong. That's sixteen hundred engines. Wrong. Okay, what is it? Wrong. It's up to ninety six hundred engines. Because it could be one per engine. Right. Oh, you're thinking that there's some out there where they put an yeah. individual. The, the, these could be um, aftermarket. Engines. I mean, the aftermarket cylinders. These could be onesies and twosies. These could be brand new engines. These could be factory remands. Um, there's there's no way to tell from this vantage from your and my vantage point how many engines are affected. All we know is there's 9,600 cylinders affected. Well, um, I just noticed. I just noticed something. It's the the, the voluntary recall is 9,600 cylinder heads. But there's no way they can replace the heads without shipping whole new cylinders out, unless they're going to take them back and swap them. I think, is um, that conceivable? You know, at the factory, I'm sure could figure out a way to debarrel 
Oh, I know uh, it's done. I know it's done. There's a rebuilder yeah. here in town that does it. Right. Is that, uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Hey, let's let's move along here because uh, there's right a, a lot of nitty gritty of this stuff. That, but it is an interesting subject. I, I'm you know, and 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 like you said, kudos to Continental for uh, yeah. stepping up here. It, you know, it puts me in mind of a. I remember way back when um, Chevron, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, had a refinery. Oops and shipped a whole lot of tainted 100 low lead. This may have been limited to California. That's when I was flying out there. And uh, and it the, the, and the, the fuel somehow t- t- it potentially damaged the engines. And Chevron did the same kind of thing where they just totally stepped up and said, listen, yep. if you bought any of this gas... Call us, you know, because we're going to find you. A mecha- I forget exactly how they handled it, but they totally stepped up for this. And I remember thinking the same kind of good thoughts about Chevron back then, and hoping that it wouldn't cause them to leave the aviation fuel market. And, uh, and, and then, of course, there's Mobile with uh, Mobile One AV, right? Yeah, which which was uh, a new um, fully synthetic oil that uh, it was then Mobile, it's now Exxon Mobile. Um, uh, and was mobile was marketing to the general aviation community, and um, it, it, there was it was missing. The formulation was correct as it as it went to retail, but the formulation was kind of sort of missing. Um, a uh, it, it was a fundamental change in in the way uh, aviation oil was being formulated. And uh, what happened is the formula in the oil started dislodging all of the gunk that some of these engines had built up. The was, filtering system too good, is what you're saying. Yeah, it, basically, it was a very, very good detergent. Yeah. Um, and the filtering systems in these airplanes, these airplanes, these engines, I should say, are you know uh, uh, 1930s design for the most part. The filtering systems aren't up to speed. Uh, the the oil circulation systems aren't up to speed. All this gunk got freed up and got suspended in the oil and um, um, started gunking up engines. And, and Mobile so, did the right thing. Mobile did the right thing and, and replaced a bunch of engines. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's it's impressive that we have this kind of good support in our relatively little marketplace. But, uh, anyways, moving on. Um, Take a drink. So, uh, since we last did an episode, I've actually because we were delayed, I've done two classes of my uh, of my IFR ground school, and uh, we've. Uh, yeah, do you have a personal trainer there also? I do. Well, you know, we have a. Yeah, no, never mind. I'm not letting you, I'm not letting you suck me into that. Uh, yeah, but you came close. Yeah, um, almost. So a week ago we talked about uh, a week ago we talked about attitude flying, uh, navigation issues, and basic air tra- aircraft control. You know, sounded like how you fly the airplane based on. I mean, a lot of this stuff's kind of. Ten- it seems to me that a lot of the stuff that we're covering, although really fascinating, strays a bit into you know what you're going to cover in the flying part of the training, and isn't 
strictly speaking what you need to know to pass the test but uh, it's nevertheless pretty fascinating stuff and uh, and one thing we did on this class when I took the IFR ground school 15 years ago uh, we didn't have these really cool flight simulators on personal computers and so a lot of what we're going over uh, the last couple of weeks uh, we're actually then flying on the, or, or our instructors flying for us and kind of showing us what this looks like on the panel and uh, and and you know actually w walking through the exercises and saying, okay, now what do you think? I mean, how do you correct this for wind? How do you do that for, how do you get back on this course? How do you, it's pretty fascinating. And, uh, and then I immediately come home and crank up my flight simulator and try to fly it too. And uh, it doesn't usually work out quite the same way. But, uh, <laughs> but eventually it will. And then today uh, we talked about the uh, national airspace system, uh, uh, all the different, uh, uh, you know, nav aids and Victor Airways and fixes and so forth and so on. Bonfires. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, uh, well, you know, and speaking of old technology, that's something I want to talk to you about. But uh, we also talked about charts um, that are available and the, how to read them and the, the symbology that's on them and that kind of thing. So that's sort of an overview of what we talked about the last cool. couple uh, weeks. Um, it, it continues to be fascinating. As everyone has told me, uh, I can see how I'm going to apply this knowledge on some level, even to my VFR flying. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of puts a whole new overlay on it and uh, a whole new perspective that's, that's you know, I think going to make me a better pilot, even if I never flew a minute of IFR. Um, oh, but you gotta. I probably will. You know, I went into you this gotta. saying, I went into this thing saying, you know, I'm only taking the ground school now because they happen to be giving the ground school now, and I'll get the score. Hopefully, I'll pass, and uh, and I'll just sit on the score until I'm ready to do the flying part, which may not be this this summer, maybe next summer. You know, but the more I go through this stuff, I'm going. I want to try this. You know, I want to at least go and do some of the flying now, and because I want to see how this works, and I want to try it. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's it's that economy thing again, you know. So, anyways, but I'm but it's fascinating stuff. Now, here's a couple things that I pulled out of the last two weeks. I wanted to talk to you about. Um, in uh, oh, I don't know if it's any any particular order here. We were talking about um, how how flying into, through, and by various kinds of airspace are affected when you're on an IFR flight plan. And then we talked a lot about how you know restricted areas and TSA or T, uh, TFRs and and all that kind of stuff. Um, one thing jumped out at me. He said something, and I just, he said, as far as prohibited areas are concerned, he said that there's part of the, I don't know what, the NOTAM or the regs or something like that, that said something that prohibited areas do not apply to the airlines. Does this mean anything to you? That's not, that's not correct. The, uh, the, um, the TFRs, um, for the most part, because what he was let me give you the context here. The context was, yeah. you know, you're flying on enough IFR flight plan, and the controller routes you through some sort of special airspace. What's your responsibility as a pilot to kind of catch the fact that you're he can't clear you into these spaces? All right, and the example he gave was, he says, some controllers will 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 route you into a prohibited area because they're just so used to doing that for airliners and not realizing that you and your little 172 don't can't you get my point prohibited uh, prohibited area is a prohibited area yeah uh, uh prohibited means no one should be flying in that airspace uh -huh. okay and that that the the the, the, the uh, poster child for that is is prop 40 or p40 um up around camp david uh in maryland mm -hmm. uh and that 
airspace extends from the surface up to, I don't know, 3,000 feet when when Camp David is not occupied by the president, and it gets a lot bigger when when uh, Camp David is occupied. The reason I'm being vague is I don't want to throw a number out there and, and have someone go blowing through that number plus point one and find themselves uh, still in the, in the prohibited area. But... Um, uh, a prohibited area is a prohibited area. Carriers are prohibited from being in there, just as general aviation is prohibited from being in there. Um, now, restricted areas, um, MOAs, etc. When a MOA or a restricted area is hot, uh, all IFR aircraft are routed around those areas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, whether they're uh, airlines or um, uh, GA. Um, TFRs, which is, I think, probably uh, where you got off on this topic. Um, for example, last Tuesday night for uh, President Obama's uh, appearance before Congress, um, they did what they have been doing for several years at State of the Union addresses, which is basically shut down the Washington, D.C. airspace for a 30-mile radius um, for general aviation. But um, scheduled operations, those, and then the way the, way the TFR um, NOTAM is worded, is basically those operators who are uh, required to have and are in compliance with a Transportation Security Administration um, standard security program um, may continue to operate as normal. Um, since only at this present time, the only GA operators out there who have a standard security program are either 12-5 um, or uh, another class of operation that eludes me right now. Um, those operations could continue, but since the run-of-the-mill Part 91 GA operator at the present time does not is not participating in a standard security program, um, he or she is required to either, you know, stay on the ground or turn around and go back where they came. Uh, there are exceptions. There are for, for like, news gathering and, and other kinds of operations, but those are on a case-by-case basis. Hmm. So I, I kind of wonder if your instructor um, might have been uh, mixing his terms or you maybe misunderstood the terminology. I, I don't know. I might have misunderstood, and I'm going to go back and look at the – Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm more than willing to be educated, but it sounds to me like um, someone miscommunicated. Yeah, Okay. Well, I'm going to go take a look, closer look, but it struck me that the idea that I, bo- I both was simultaneously kind of horrified and nodding him head going, yeah, they would do that, to say that the airlines had a special, you know, get out of, not a get out of jail free card, but, you know, a special well, pass. To- I, I gotta, I'll give you, for instance, a buddy of mine uh, was flying corporate, flying a corporate challenger several years back, uh, since 9-11, but, uh, uh, and um, he... They were flying down. He was he was left seater on this flight, flying down from Teterboro or something like that back in the Dallas where the airplane was based. And I don't know why, what else was going on, but they were just basically doing a bobbing, bobbing and weaving kind of thing. And he's on like a downwind for Dallas and looks up and there's an F-16 flying off his wing. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, excuse me, why is this guy here? And apparently... Um, the, they had they had flown through P forty the Camp David uh, prohibited area, uh, but he had been vectored through it by ATC. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, it was still a violation, but because it was, it was actually a violation on the controller's part, more so than, the, than on pilot's part. Uh, because the, the controller had, had literally vectored him through that area, uh, he got off. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, but, I uh, sometimes whether the fact that airline pilots flying, you know, for one twenty one, one thirty five carriers now have to go through this fingerprinting, criminal background check, and all that stuff. Uh, whether that might make a difference on some things, and I think it does with TFRs. In, but I'd never heard of it making a difference on a prohibited area. Now, um, it makes a difference on TFRs if if the entire operation is covered by and compliant with a standard uh, a TSA standard security program. And if right. you go through and you read the fine print in those in those notums, they will tell you which standard security programs are exempt from the TFR. Hmm. Okay, um, but you have to read that fine print. Of course, it's it's all in caps. Um, that's the the real distinction. It really has nothing to do with whether or not it's a scheduled operation or a 121 operation or a 135 operation. What it has to do with is whether or not um, uh, the operation is required and compliant with a standard security program. Yeah, okay. Another thing, um, you know, and I think we talked about this on the podcast in the past, and it, it just didn't quite click for me because, but then I, I heard, we heard, we talked about it the other day, uh, we were talking about nav aids and you know VORs and radar and all this kind of good stuff, and we we're talking about Loran. And uh-huh. I always think of Loran as being old technology, and my goodness, they must be going to phase that out soon. But um, apparently, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, Loran is being actually uh, maybe even geared up to be a backup to GPS. Does this have to do with you know as ADSB becomes? More prevalent is that what's happening here, Loran? Well, that, that's, what do you that's, know about been, that's been suggested in some corners, and uh, that's the way. I think that's along the lines of what Europe has done with some of its uh, navigation needs. So, so the feds want to get rid of. They want to phase out. Ra- I mean, I, I'm overstating it here. I may be oversimplifying it, but they they want to phase out everywhere radar. They want to phase out a bunch of VORs. But because GPS is so cool and ADSB is the way of the future, but you can't just rely on GPS. You have to have a backup, and Loran is being positioned to be the backup. That's it's, that's it's, been a suggestion because Loran is an existing network. From the user interface side of it, it can be made to work just like GPS. Yeah. Because the I, you I know the bells and the, whistles are built into the box, not into the GPS system. Right. I thought the Loran uh, was really a supplement. It was uh, designed um, to um, enable WAS, Wide Area Augmentation System, uh, on a broader scale than would otherwise be the case without Loran. Somebody help me here. I I hadn't heard it put that way before. I'm sorry. Say it one more time, Jeb. Loran is considered to be um, a uh, component of a future um, navigation system architecture. Um, My understanding was that it was being developed as a way of enhancing the GPS's accuracy 
through uh, either the, the local area augmentation system or the wide area augmentation system, okay. LOS or WAS. So the, so your, um, the Loran stations it, would be these magic, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them, stations that are supposed to improve the quality of the GPS right. signals. Right. It, it, would, it would be one more um, refinement, if you will, um, in the, or to the, uh, the raw GPS signal. Uh, would be would be to use Loran uh, as an extra I don't know extra check or, or accuracy check redundancy check whatever to uh, improve the accuracy. Um, Loran a couple of years ago, uh, Coast Guard um, had proposed pulling the plug on Loran, and um, since then Loran has kind of found a new lease on life as a result of all this. Um, but you're springing something on, on both Dave and I that we just kind of had scratched our heads about here, I think. Yeah. Um, what, what, uh, at no point in my um, – and I'm certainly willing to be educated, but at no point in my uh, recent memory has Loran been discussed as a backup to GPS. Um, it, it's, I, I know it's, always, been, I know it's been suggested as a uh, – as a possible uh, Some, answer know. to the need for redundancy. Right. I know that there's work going on live now uh-huh. to improve the transmitter technology and yeah. piggyback digital signal, uh, digital information on the signal uh-huh. okay. uh, that's going on. And, and it's what, something that's called eLoran transmitter yeah enhanced Lorraine you're right um and And, I think uh, what they're doing is is embedding a a a correction signal in that that um improves Lorraine's accuracy um but again I think it's only associated with these loss and loss uh um services um I don't know we'll have to research this and, and I'm sure some of our listeners uh this is where I punt but I'm sure some of our listeners um, are pr- perhaps more attuned uh, on this than, than uh, we are just off the top of our heads. So uh, yeah. um, um, feel free to chime in on this. We'll, we'll have to take an IOU on this one. Yeah. I remember, you know, 20 years ago when I was first fly, starting to fly, yeah. learning how to fly, um, Loran was the cool technology. Every now and then you'd fly in, in somebody's airplane. He had a little Loran in it. And, and they, they didn't even have moving maps back then. It was just simply cool that it would give you, you know, kind of, you know, bearing and distance and that kind of thing. And, uh, well, well, and, and apparently the outfits, government agencies are already working on, on uh, uh, an enhanced Loran system well, that has more capabilities because uh, contracts have been let to do demonstration work for outfits like the Coast Guard. Uh, which has a lot of investment in Loran and a lot of familiarity with it. Uh, and gee, anyway, it, we we built a mid-continental transmission chain. Well, that's my question. Back so, in the eighties yeah, exactly. to fill what exactly. was famously called the mid-continent gap. So they did do that. See, that's my thing. Is that it, like I said, 10, 20, 15 years ago, fifteen, twenty years ago, Loran was hot and cool, but they had this problem, which one was that it was weather sensitive, and the other was that it only worked along the coasts. And so you're saying they did fill out the country so that Loran yes. is basically. Oh yeah, they everywhere. filled out the country back in the uh, back in the eighties. 
Late Ooh, 80s, right? yeah. See, I yeah. and a lot of my friends moved on to GPS and left Loran behind pretty quickly. And uh, Well, and the, the enhanced Loran is supposed to have some of the benefits of GPS in terms of it having a signal that is not so easily uh, thwarted by uh, the background noise that light Rain. creates. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. well. That's the big yeah. killer of Loran as a as a as a, as a functional navigation base, is the background noise created the electromagnetic noise created by lightning, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the reasons why GPS is immune to that is one one's a frequency difference. Another is the fact that the information's digitized. It's a digital signal as opposed to an analog signal with embedded information and the. Uh, that can be made more resistant to the background noise. So uh, it, it'd be interesting to see which way it'd go. it goes. Certainly the infrastructure already exists. Yeah. The familiarity with the technology already exists. And if I remember right, there were Loran GPS combo receivers uh, built for the European market years ago. Yeah. My airplane, when I bought it, had a combination Loran GPS receiver in it. There you uh, go. It was, a, it was a, um, an RNAV. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we've already been there. Yeah. And and I've got in my hand the operator's manual. Uh, I was going through some old stuff and and throwing some stuff away the other day. Uh, Operator's manual for a North Star M1 Loran Navigator. It is complete. There are no pages missing. Um, Nice little booklet here. I'm going to put it on eBay. eBay, (laughs) man, absolutely. eBay, eBay, that sucker. But uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the final thing that comes out of my uh, these last couple of classes, um, and Dave mentioned a few minutes ago, using bonfires for navigation. Um, so, so it was true at one time. NDBs are like really old and clunky technology, and yet they just won't die, right? They're still somewhat right. important for it's AM radio. But but you know I mean from listening to my instructor talk, um, it's really borderline reliable, and yet there are a lot of you know, modern approach, not a modern, but, but, you know, current day approaches that, well, that's, that's the rub that require NDB. Um, he was talking about, uh, you know, ILSs that you also have to have an NDB because the, because the miss uses NDB or something. Uh Uh Um, Yeah. It's a, in some instances, it's the, it's the source of the approach, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've got to fly a bloody arc around the, 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 the station. Yeah. Uh, to to get to where you're supposed to be able to pick up the runway, uh, but very little of that exists. Mostly, it's an element in, in approaches of different types, and the thinking has long been that until you can rightfully consider, and I don't agree with this by a long shot, until you can rightfully consider GPS to be universally adapted, mm-hmm. that it's unfair to pilots uh, that have uh, ADFs to pull the NDBs out and take away that that approach option. And what's happening is new approaches are being written that take the NDB out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And there's some there's some approaches uh, use GPS now, where all you need is to be able to have the waypoint, the Latin long of where that NDB is for the, uh, the the system and the GPS to be able to show you the approach right. and for yeah. you to fly it accurately. So uh, they've been wanting to shut those puppies down for a long time. Like Jeb said, it's good old AM radio. I, 
when I've flown in airplanes with uh, with ADFs, it's been a lot of fun to tune in, you know, stations in communities where I no longer live, and you know, maybe listen to the high school basketball game. <laughs> yeah, hey, one of the first um, uh, approach applications for GPS was. Um, a legal use of the GPS as a replacement for ADF yep. basically had overlay approaches um, that were based on an, an existing NDB approach. But uh, as long as the GPS had um, um, or, or the pilot could identify the, the put in the lat long for the uh, for the NDB or the GPS had it in his database, you were golden. Uh, yeah. To shoot, shoot to shoot the NDB well, approach using only GPS. What I thought I, he told us is that you can use the GPS to for, to find the NDB for to, in, in order to execute a miss, but not to do the actual an NDB approach. He says, uh, they, they, they won't call it an NDB approach, okay? Right. But it will be an right. it'll be a GPS approach. Right, that's fine. Overlaid yeah. to match all right. the all the navigational yeah that's consistent with what he said um, yeah but if it's if it's if it's published as a as an ndb approach you, he says you cannot use a gps to fake to pretend you know that you've got a, an adf anyways i'm still i may be just blathering here i'm just so early is my I, my mind is awash with all this stuff and yeah i i think um the uh, the way the um, the FAA dealt with this is they issued a, um, some guidance that uh, I think allows the user, uh, as long as certain conditions are met, to replace the NDB. Um, uh, I'm sorry, replace the ADF with the GPS, but certain conditions have to be met. I think. Your your instructor is technically accurate, uh, but he didn't go quite far enough. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, well, that's Jiffer for this week. Uh, it's Jack's IFR training, and uh, anyways, more later on. Um, off your landing. Actually, I just found something here. Yeah. Yeah. Effective July 16, 98, pilots may substitute IFR-certified GPS receivers for DME and ADF avionics in all operations except NDP approaches without a GPS overlay. That's Okay, so, that sounds like what he said to us, yeah. yeah, yeah. GPS can be used in lieu of DME and ADF on all localizer-type approaches as well as on VOR and DME approaches, including when charted NDB or DME transmitters are temporarily out of service. Yeah. So there you go. This is 1998. Mm-hmm. That's a while ago. Yeah. Uh, there, there were damn few Jeep IFR GPS navigators in 1998 compared right. to today. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, hey, off field landing of the week. So uh, this is uh, this is a landing. This is a news story that's from uh, about like two, almost two weeks ago. Um, Let's see now. Uh, this is from a story on our, our friends at Aero News Net. Uh, he say, it writes, uh, 
When you need to land in an emergency, you need to land, and you can only pray the ice over lake beneath you is solid. That was the case for two people. You gotta go, you gotta go. (laughs) Flying over the community of Grays Lake, Illinois, early Tuesday evening. Uh, The Chicago Sun-Time reports the single-engine Cessna 150 had departed Chicago Executive in Wheeling, about 20 miles to the south, when the pilot noticed the plane's engine was running rough. The pilot tried to land at Campbell, I'm paraphrasing now, tried to land at uh, Campbell Airport, uh, wasn't going to be able to make the field, so he aimed for uh, Gray's Lake, which was frozen over. And uh, he says, the quote is, in what we imagine was one of the pilot's smoothest, softest landings ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sliding sideways down the lake. If, you, if you're Not, not going to bang that one on. Yeah. Uh, the C-150 alighted on the ice and came to a stop with no damage to the aircraft. The pilot was able to then taxi over to the rear deck of the, this is the surprise. He goes, hey, look who's here. To the rear deck of, uh, of uh, a home. on the Mom, there's an airplane taxiing on the water. Yeah. So, uh, you know, landing on the ice. Uh, yeah. I actually had a chance to visit. Uh, I, I visited. Sounds the, cool. I visited the infamous ice airport last Saturday morning. And, oh, did you? Uh, yeah, and uh, I unfortunately I'm the, the, I was there really early in the morning, and there was, it was very quiet. There was nobody around, and no aircraft wow. on the ground or anything or on the ice. But uh, but I saw it. It's really I you know it looks just like what the pictures I've seen. It looks really cool, and uh, um. There, uh, there's. It's starting to re- reach the end. This is at Alton Bay in uh, on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire, and uh, clearly the airport is starting to reach the end of its season because, for example, they no longer are. Uh, they actually plowed not only a runway but a, a parallel taxiway, um, but now in the most the recent weeks they've stopped using the uh, the taxiway because it got slushed over when we got some warm weather and they weren't able to smooth it out. So now you just have to back taxi on the ice runway, um, but. Uh, but there's, it's right uh-huh. there. It's right there out on the ice. And, uh, so anyways, congratulations to these folks in uh, Grays Lake, uh, Illinois, for a successful off-field landing. And uh, good job. Uh, you know, one of the, I, at the pancake breakfast I went to a few weeks ago, I was sitting uh, uh, over, over coffee talking with uh, a couple people. And we were talking about the idea of landing on, on ice, just kind of not a prepared ice, but just landing on a lake. And, and and the subject came up that what what can sometimes happen if the ice is not thick enough is of course the, the airplane will break through the ice but what apparently happens in a lot of cases is that the airplane settles in up to if it's a high wing aircraft it settles in to the wings and then the wings have enough area to keep it from falling through the ice and until spring anyway and and we got to thinking that that's actually <laughs> that's actually you're 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 pretty much you're just out of luck then if you're still in the airplane because oh, yeah. if the fuselage has gone through the ice you're not getting the doors open because they're up uh, against the ice and uh, another reason to fly a low wing airplane yeah okay you guys damn straight we were tra- we were speculating how what you, would you do you know I mean if you're you know so now you're really you know in a pit would there. I do I would be breaking things yeah well we were, saying, be, we, were yeah. we were speculating on whether you can kick out the front windshield and we figured you probably couldn't do that um, and so then we were speculating on whether you could uh, kick out two words a two words yeah. I want you to, two words TSA I want you to listen this is one of the reasons why uh, your rule proposal is stupid yeah. two words crash axe it's made to break that's transparency substance in aircraft windows just so you can extricate your silly butt who would be a silly butt for being in that situation without two words crash axe 
<laughs> well, geez. Now it sounds like this was a setup for you, David, and it wasn't. But no, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. We never even considered that possibility. We were kicking things with our feet in our little fantasy. And uh... yeah, I, I think I can state, you know, without any reservations whatsoever, with the possible exception of, of uh, having pulled the wool over my eyes once or twice, that, that uh, Jack has never set up Dave on this podcast. <laughs> I don't need to. Dave will work it out. You know, he'll... <laughs> All right. That's enough. I just, All right. Congratulations I, I just to these pilots. I spent my days waiting for these kind of opportunities. Congratulations to this pilot for uh, landing successfully on the ice in Illinois. Absolutely. Yes. What's yes. the latest in Las Vegas? I thought this story was settling out. And uh, uh, this is a. Uh, Man, oh no. They want to they want, they go forth and regulate. North Las Vegas Airport um, got a little bit out of shape when tragically a. Uh, what was it, a long easy? Um, no, a. Um, um, I don't remember. What's that other large? I'll, I'll think. I'll uh, think could have been a velocity. Velocity. Or, I, think. Velocity. I think it was velocity. a velocity. When this velocity uh, crashed and and uh, killed a few people, and I mean tragic. I don't mean to belittle that and make light of that. All right, but but the the uh, the local community, I think, overreacted by suddenly starting to propose red uh, legislation to prohibit. What uh, experimental aircraft uh, at this airport or in the air well, this, or over this, the city? This, or this, like that. this actually went a little bit beyond. It started out with the, uh, and I'm not trying to belittle the seriousness of the issue. I'm I'm trying to belittle the people who suddenly think that they have rain over the sky. Uh, so there's a difference, and I'll continue to belittle them. But suddenly, the local airport management thought that it should be in the business of establishing national aviation policy uh, by saying, well, from now on, we can have a policy that experimental aircraft can't come and go. Uh, now, there's, I think, a successful effort there to cool the jets in Vegas. But since cool jets are cooling in Vegas, uh, what's the state capital of Nevada? Carson City. Carson, Carson City. City. They have gone off the, their meds in Carson City uh, because there's been discussion there about, well, they could pr- settle this problem at the state level by the state regulating the airspace. Mm-hmm. Good luck with and that. Pro- yeah, good luck with that. I know that the FAA is going to be willing to jump right in on that. Uh, and it, it goes along with some some other nonsense that we've seen from time to time where communities want to suddenly uh, decide that they've had enough of this or enough of that or not enough of one thing or the other and decided that the airspace, which becomes the FAA's to control, I think at about 150 off the ground. Yeah. You know, thinking about tethered balloons and things like that that have to to pass FAA mustard. Um, so you know, it's like uh, cut it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there anything we need to do, or is this? Can we just sit back and chuckle? Um, you know, that- well, according I, I, to I, this I, this story on on AvWeb, uh, EAA is asking its members to uh, just keep their powder dry for the time being. Well, and I put this on here with something else, it seemed like. But maybe I missed it. I don't know. Keep thinking about that. We'll come back to it if you if you come up with it. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here and Please do. talk Please do. a little bit about Eclipse. We were kind of joking about yeah. Eclipse earlier in, uh, in this podcast. And uh, 
So uh, they all got furloughed. They, I, I assume they have not got called back to work yet, right? Furloughed? They've, oh, worse than that. Oh, it's worse than that. The doors are closed. Come, you know, lights are off. Uh, don't even bother. Oh, really? Credit, creditors have asked for the liquidation of the company. All right. Yeah. Well, that's, then, I'm, then I'm behind the times here because the last story I heard was that... Well, they from Chapter to- 11 to Chapter 7. On, they, Sun, on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, so there's two sort of follow-up stories to this. One is that there, there's a, a guy who says he's going to try and buy up the operation and continue to manufacture the airplanes, right? Is there any any does the story ring any have any truth to you? I mean, do you think it's possible? I don't think we've heard the last of uh, of uh, what's his name, the E Turk people. No. The chief executive of a Wichita-based company, or a Wichita-sided yeah. company, Harlow Aerostructures, a guy named Phil Friedman, uh, kind of came onto the scene, uh, I guess, Friday? Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the 27th of February, and let it be known that he is trying to mount an effort to acquire the the uh, the assets of the company and and all the appropriate hardware, uh, he formed a company called Eclipse Acquisition LLC to bid for the assets of Eclipse. And what he'd like to do is take two years to bring all 259 existing jets uh, up to the final type certificate configuration. And he says that that would include charging customers for the upgrades. Those who can't afford the upgrades will be assisted by the company representative to sell their jets, and then the company will get a chance to upgrade them then. And this all motors along for about two years, and if he gets his way, if Phil Friedman gets his way, he hopes to restart production at a rate of about 100 a year in about 2011 probably the latter part of 2011, and the new price of the Eclipse 500 as set today, probably with an escalator from 2009, would be $2.4 million, uh, which closes, real, closes in real close on, on Citation Mustang territory in terms of price. Uh, but that's, that's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, now, Jeb, you, know, you think you think Vern might get back into this game? Anything's possible. I mean, when you got an ego, I mean, uh, when when you're talking about an industry and a marketplace that is ego driven as this one is, um, oh he God, couldn't, no. he couldn't. He couldn't. Back when the economy was relatively healthy, he couldn't raise the money to keep this thing going. What makes you think in these days he's going to raise the money to keep? To, it's pennies oh. on the dollar. Well, I suppose Jack, he's yeah, shed, there's, there's he shed a, all that. He shed all that debt. Yeah, okay. It's pennies, right. pennies on the dollar. You could probably, I, I, I don't know, just speculation and, and talking to some other people here. You probably pick up what's left of this company for twenty million. Well, and, and that's now. This is where Jack's comments about the state of the economy become most salient. Uh-huh. Uh, Roll peeper who is the acting chairman and, and, and head guy who has a company in Europe that bid on buying the company out of Chapter 11. And the deal was $28 million plus uh, $150 million in new shares and a stake in the company. Uh, they weren't able to come up with the financing 
to close that deal out and the the 150 million in shares folks that's just issuing paper saying we promise that you get to vote that you get a share if we that's, ever make that doesn't any money, really require anything more in the way of, of the, the big expense in issuing those shares is the printing cost. Yeah. Uh, so they had to come up with $28 million in essence yeah. and the money to start work again. That's where the rub came in. Well, that's, that's the problem. That's always been the problem. Right. right. But that $28 million represents about 2.8 or 2.5 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Or how much has been already uh, absorbed and used by this effort. As they were over a billion dollars in debt when they filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So getting the company for 2.8% of a percent of a billion is a pretty good deal. Uh, and the idea, to quote one of the uh, savvier analysts of this business, uh, Richard Abulafia at the Teal Group, uh, I'll just quote him here because it's his baby, and I, I agree with him completely. $2.4 million a plane, 100 per year. That's about the first non-stupid thing I've heard about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So now, uh, yeah. So, so maybe coincidentally, maybe not, but uh, the FAA has released an interesting document. Uh, <laughs> Let me see if I can let me see if I can summarize this for you. Here's what the the FAA has released a Q and A for Eclipse Jet owners trying to answer some of their questions about the status of their airplanes. And let's see if I can boil it down to three topics here. All right. First of all, the FAA has not arbitrarily grounded all of the existing Eclipse 500s. Two, they are they will continue to be airworthy as long as you keep them maintained according to the way they're supposed to be maintained. But three, there is nobody who can legally provide you with parts or maintenance on them well you can now, fly the that's almost that's almost 100 percent true that's almost a, you can fly you can the airplane is legal to fly as long as it's airworthy right it becomes air unairworthy if it needs maintenance if it needs maintenance there is nobody to provide the maintenance right well there are individual technicians that have received the training but hasn't this what Jeb's been telling us here for a couple of months now? Is that they may be they may be able to do certain things to the airplane if they work for an outfit that's willing to you know work with the FAA to get them on their certificate as trained and approved for working on the Eclipse 500. But doesn't there the- are individuals that can do that? But if it requires any parts. <laughs> That came through, if it requires any parts that came through as Eclipse parts, uh, then they're, you know, solidly out of luck, SOL. Uh, And that's right up to and including the database required for the uh, uh, IS and S displays in the airplane. Jeb, haven't you been telling us for some time now that by by definition, by in in what the 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 airworthy by, certificate, by, the only ones who limitation. are the only by ones who can do maintenance on these airplanes are Eclipse a, service centers, an approved service center. That is by limitation in the airplane flight manual. Right, and um, therefore, even if you have the expertise that you used to work for Eclipse, and now you're working out of your own hangar. Oh, you're going to have to get the FISDO to go along with it. That doesn't mean oh, yeah. that you can't apply. You can't come up with that 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 uh, Eclipse trained, former Eclipse employed service center guy 
and get paperwork through the FISDO that says, yeah, okay, we'll, have it. we'll let him do the work. But wouldn't that require a modification to the flight manual? Sure. No. Well, it would require I miss, the addition miss, of that paperwork saying this guy was approved to do that work. Yeah. What? What? What's the way that? And I don't have the flight manual in front of me. I, I, you know, we're fresh out of eclipses here. Um, but um, mine got repossessed. Yeah, mine got repossessed also. You know, I, I gave mine away. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. The flight manual says no one except an, an approved eclipse service center may prov- may perform either scheduled or non-scheduled maintenance on the airplane. Um, and there are no approved Eclipse service centers. There were three locations, Gainesville, Florida, Albany, New York, and Albuquerque, New Mexico, that were service centers. Um, since the company kind of sort of doesn't exist um, or has closed its doors, uh, those service centers have also closed their doors. The punchline is, yeah, you can fly the airplane as long as nothing on it breaks or as long as it doesn't need scheduled maintenance per um, the type certificate. If and when it, something breaks or um, it needs scheduled maintenance per the type certificate, the airplane sits on the ground until a service center can perform that maintenance. I've got, I'm looking at a question here. Page one. Yeah. Page what page if I one. need what if I need to repair my airplane? Right. Any properly EA five hundred trained certificated technician or certified EA five hundred maintenance facility. I that's an either or. Okay, you're right. That is an or situation. Repairs. Okay. Can perform repairs. Okay. Any properly EA five hundred, that's the Eclipse five hundred, trained certificated technician and or certified EA five hundred maintenance facility can perform repairs. Uh now you may want to go talk to your FISDO about yeah. having that unemployed technician from that closed maintenance facility do the work for you and make sure that those guys aren't going to come back later and say, no, 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 it reads differently to right. them. And right. or. It means right. and. No, it also says or. What? And or. No, I take it back. You did it. Okay, Mom all said right. you liked it. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. So, so um, uh, the punchline here. Up. Yeah, go ahead. One of, one of the punchlines is there is a market here. There are 259, 260 airplanes out there that have been produced that have type certificates that I mean have airworthiness certificates that their owners would like to fly. So there is a market here for A parts, B service. Um, there is a cadre of trained technicians out there. There we're kind of fuzzy on how many maintenance facilities may or may not exist for the airplane right now. Um, but that that will sort itself out also. So I, I would guess what you're going to see, um, first of all, is some companies uh, that are into to uh, BizJet maintenance will uh, hire away some of these maintenance, these certified technicians, and set up housekeeping to start doing Eclipse maintenance. Well, this, uh, this, this, this is the next question after the last yeah. one. Yeah. Then you'll see maybe a company formed to to do that on a nationwide basis or maybe even on a worldwide basis to support um, the uh, the airplanes. Uh, it may or may not include parts manufacturing. It may or may not include upgrades, yada, yada, yada. What we don't know yet is what will happen to, A, the type certificate, B, 
um, the assets of the company, whether they will simply go up in smoke, whether someone will acquire them for pennies on the dollar. Uh, and if they do, if someone does acquire the assets of the company for pennies on the dollar, what they will do with that, those assets. Will they um, do nothing? Will they start manufacturing parts? Will they start here's, doing here's upgrades? Here's the sentence that I like best out of the whole thing. Okay. It's in the, under the question, can I obtain services or parts from Eclipse or their suppliers? Mm-hmm. Which the FAA answers succinctly in the first sentence of the paragraph. Eclipse is not delivering any spare parts at this time. Those suppliers who do not have a separate production approval, e.g. PMA, are not authorized by Eclipse to ship parts directly to owners operators. That means that you couldn't necessarily get a part made by a, a contractor that was only on the airplane because it came on under Eclipse's approval uh, as part of their part of their uh, certificate for products, parts, and appliances that are certified under separate production approval, such as a type certificate or a technical service order authorization, TSAO, you may contract the supplier directly. Be aware that there may be interface issues that only Eclipse can address, but here's the sentence. Here's the key to the whole thing. Owners and operators are permitted to manufacture or contract the manufacturer of replacement parts for their own aircraft, provided they dictate the design of those parts. There's right. the window that will let, uh-huh. like somebody said, like Jack, uh, Jeb said, somebody form a company to get this off the ground to support these airplanes. From support, well, if this became an orphan type certificate, uh, and then all you got to do you know, is somebody's going to want to buy those drawings and and, and mm-hmm. engineering the fixtures, stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, all, it all you it may only is- be a you know it may only be a penny on the hundred dollars, but if that stuff gets sold intact to somebody, kiddies, there's a way to keep these airplanes alive and maintained. Yeah. And, and th- that that sentence that that Dave highlighted, talking about owners and operators permitted to manufacture their parts, that is is a longstanding. That's um, correct. Uh, reference to uh, the FARs. It's called an owner-produced part. Um, anybody who owns a certificate, a type certificated airplane or aircraft, I should say, may uh, produce parts for that aircraft as long as they're the owner. Period. They, they look it up. Yep. Well, well, then what happens when you want to sell that airplane? That's a different well, story. No, it's, it's, it's less of a different story. The part... <laughs> The part has to conform to the function and design and characteristics of the part it replaces. Okay. Um, otherwise, it would not be in compliance with the type certification of the airplane or the aircraft. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yep. So as long as. The you didn't part care that I said right. You were waiting for Dave to say right. No, I, I was waiting for some, I was waiting for both of you to say right. Oh, okay. I was waiting, right. for, both of, waiting right. for both of you. Okay. So as long as the the part, for example, provides the same function, is made from the same materials, um, and you know has the same basic limitations and and, and characteristics, it's the airplane or the aircraft, I should say, complies with its type certificate in the discussion. And then you just you yeah. stencil the word experimental on the side and get it over with. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. 
No, no, making no. a joke. I'm making a joke. We got to move on. Oh, okay. We got to move on. We're moving on. To be continued. Right, we'll talk about this more in the future. I'm. So- oh wait, 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 wait. Right. Oh, never mind. It's twist off. No, no, no. Make him go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to wrap this thing up. But there is yeah, one story we, we, we want to touch on here. Fork. We want to touch on the one other thing here. Um, I can't. I can't decide that it's time to panic yet. All right. But it is true that the Obama administration has released this sort of future. It's not budgets. time to panic. Budgets roadmap, and one of the disturbing things that's in this roadmap is uh, they're they're at least toying with the idea of instituting user fees to fund the FAA starting a couple of years from now. Um, is this something to worry about, or is this just politics and it's a bargaining chip that they're going to give away later on, or what? What? What do you think? I think it's. Uh, I think you can trace it back to institutional inertia in OMB. Mm-hmm. And they okay. just put it in there because they could, but it'll never live. Well, they put it in there because that seems like a good idea from an accountant's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, until you actually do the accounting. Right. You know, you do the accounting and then you find out that it's much worse, which is why we've managed to, you know, kill off this idea. Uh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. There, I don't think uh, President Obama is going to choose this particular area of tax and revenue policy to pick a down and dirty veto fight with Congress. Congress is going to do this the way that Congress has been doing it for decades, and that's to keep it based on excise taxes, that which is based on excise taxes. And, and you know, if you're an airline passenger, you're paying a lot of things these days that aren't excise taxes. Yeah, well, uh, I hope so. From your lips, I will, to- I will take a slightly different view, and I will, um, you know, I'll even give you, for instance, uh, to say that it's a um, it's a strategy um, that they're and this I'm starting to see signs of this in a lot of areas coming from the Obama administration. And if you if you think back on it, go back to to January 20 and start looking at the things that they've done and the successes that they've had and the way in which they've accomplished various things um, is consistent. And here's here's what they're doing. You, you, we saw, for instance, a couple of weeks ago when brand new um, uh, SecDot Ray LaHood uh, threw out a trial balloon saying, well, we need to go to a GPS-based I – mean, we need to go to a system that is um, vehicle miles traveled to, to charge users of the highway system. And what we're going to do is we're going to put a GPS-based transponder in every vehicle, and we're going to track – where you go and how far you drive, and, and then we're going to send you a bill. Okay, okay. this is this is a, a a no defecation. This was a no defecation proposal. Okay, uh, really? Yeah. Okay, I hadn't heard this. Go and ahead. Yeah. this lasted not even twenty four hours. No, it didn't last a news cycle. Yeah, before it got walked back by the White House. Okay. And there wasn't any big sturm and drang and, and LaHood being called down to the White House and, and read the riot act or anything like that. He was calling their bluff. This was, this was a real easy, you know, here's the problem, guys. We're not getting enough money uh, into the highway funding system. So, you know, we can do it one of two ways. We can put these GPS-based transponders in your vehicles and then start billing you on vehicle miles traveled, or we can raise the gas tax. Which would you prefer? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's the same basic thing that they're going to end up doing with aviation. 
um, hey, you know, we need more. We need more money to fund aviation, airports, and ATC, and VORs, and, and GPS satellites, and all this. So what we're going to do is we're going to start charging you to file a flight plan, shoot an ILS, yada 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 yada. Oh, you don't like that? Well, why don't we just raise the the taxes? And everybody's well. And be the, real the funny thing is that the uh, the uh, general aviation community, top to bottom, has already so signed square. on to higher. Exactly. higher fuel taxes. Exactly. So, you know, it's, I, it's, I, I think it got thrown about, in there to negotiate away against something else um, since the, the community's exactly. already agreed to higher fuel taxes. Okay. And, and, and some of this, you know, you got to keep in mind, some of this is not designed for consumption by the general aviation community. Right. This is designed for consumption by the media and the policy wonks, uh, people on the Hill, uh, bean counters, I think et cetera, I like et cetera. Policy wanks better. <laughs> policy wanks is is probably uh, as about a Freudian slip as I'm going to get tonight. Uh, <laughs> but it is probably, as Dave says, uh, uh, very accurate, and yeah. and that's all I'm going to say on this okay. topic. All right, shout outs. Who's got something? Oh, got I'll do. A, I'll, I'll do a quickie out here to. Uh, to the folks out at uh, uh, the Stick and Rudder Flying Club again, they're they're actually organizing a uh, an event. If I can find the bloody thing here, well, I've got kind of a reverse shout out. Um, I'll I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, this was a story out of uh, uh, I believe it was Laurel, Delaware, uh, maybe Laurel, Maryland. I don't I don't really I can't really tell, but this is a guy who. Uh, he and his wife uh, built an RV, um, or, or I'm sorry, now wife, then girlfriend, started building this airplane. Anyway, just recently flew, um, and um, it's, it's been a, uh, a, 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 I don't know, a romantic thing that they get together and, and build this airplane and made, made a local news story, and uh, it was just really a neat little story, and hats off to... Uh, Let's see, Ralph, um, Ralph Capen, Capen, Ralph and Elaine Capen mm-hmm. of, uh, I believe, Laurel, Delaware, uh, for um, getting their RV uh, airborne. And uh, Ralph is flying off the hour so he can take uh, uh, Arlene up with him. So, uh, Elaine, I'm sorry, um, up with him. And um, uh, it's just a really cute story. I just thought I'd throw that in there. The reverse shout out yeah. goes to. A woman we have called variously Scary Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Schiavo, former inspector general for the U.S. Department of Transportation during the Clinton administration back in the early 90s, I guess, mid-90s. Mary Schiavo has always been a, a purveyor of doom and gloom when it comes to aviation safety in all shapes and forms and uh, alleges on more than one occasion, there's a cover-up behind everything the FIA has done um, since, um, I don't know, since it was created. Well, of all things, of all people, she's back. And uh, I don't know how or why, but she's she got her name in the, in the newspaper, in, in Associated Press last week. Um, and uh, oh, she's, she's behind a, a lawsuit being brought by something called the... Uh, National Air Disaster Alliance slash Foundation, um, um, 
forcing they want to force the transportation you know, force DOT to adopt what they call long what are called in the story long standing safety recommendations in the wake of the uh, um, the uh, um, Buffalo plane crash last month. So, oh, they want um, the airplane just, grounded. They want the airplane grounded. They want all twin turboprops grounded that aren't de-iced, yada, yada, yada. And just just please go away. Let us have an intelligent conversation here about some of these things. We don't need you in this. Thank you very much. Okay. David, did you find the information about that? Uh- yes, I did. I did. Stick and Rudder Flying Club. This comes to us courtesy of listener Bobby Culver, uh, who is a member, and he put it on the uh, – the, uh, the forum site. Uh, this is at Waukegan, Illinois. They're going to be having a safety day event coming up uh, this March. And uh, if you're in the area, a little extra, a little extra smarts never hurt most pilots, including <laughs> English smarts. Yeah. And my other one are <clears throat> uh, the local commemorative Air Force, the Jayhawk Wing here in Wichita, is uh, uh, having their annual dinner event and stage show silent auction they call it the uh, salute to valor if you're in the area march 14 if you're not in the area and can you know kick them five or ten bucks it's march 13 they'll uh they'll uh put the money to good use operating their uh they're uh, they're they're two old World War II warbirds, a uh, Fairchild PT twenty three, and a Cessna uh, UC seventy eight Bobcat mm-hmm. yeah. that they use to educate the young and the impressionable about why aviation was important during World War II. Just like we try to educate the impressionable about why it's important even today. I was going to say that kind of the young and the impressionable. That pretty much covers this this group of three people, doesn't it? <laughs> I didn't say young and naive. But it's, <laughs> I'm not even going to. No, 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 no. Thirty-three percent of this group is young and impressionable. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> That's Jeb Burnside. Uh, Jeb, uh, believe it or not, is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Oh, yeah, he's serving, all right. Jeb, where can we find uh, you on the Internet? Oh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Um, I'll throw it out there anyway. jeburnside.com, though it's broken. And uh, occasionally I'll pop up on AvWeb. And uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, uh, where they should be able to see my latest screed about uh, how BizDev is being treated. Uh, and... Although the opening page is a little rough around the edges, I did something to screw up a flash presentation. Dave Higdon dot biz. You have flash. You have flash on your homepage on your home your website. Yeah, I did until I screwed up the uh, the tap for the picture. So that's that's this week's project. I'm, I'm impressed. Pictures back on there. Yeah. Okay. I'm, very cool. I'm, 
Very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can find me on the internet at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. As always, thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Also, thanks to our many listeners, and particularly to Royce Earl and Mike Morgan for the show opening disclaimer clips. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list, and more. And all of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Let's all live longer and go flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's enough talking for this week. Let's go flying. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) TTFN. 